I'm Bonnie Glazer, Director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we will explore the China-Myanmar relationship and the potential impact the recent coup in Myanmar may have on China's interests in the country and its relations with Myanmar. On February 1st, the military of Myanmar overthrew the country's fragile democratic government in a coup d'etat. The military detained the country's de facto civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, along with government ministers, opposition politicians, and activists. The coup has plunged Myanmar into a crisis. China's relationship with Myanmar is complicated. The two countries established diplomatic ties in 1950 and signed a border treaty in 1960. During the Cultural Revolution, Beijing supported the anti-government Burmese Communist Party, causing ties between China and Myanmar's military government to deteriorate. Relations improved after the end of the Cultural Revolution in 1976. And when the army led by Nguyen carried out a coup in 1988 in Myanmar, China was the first country to support the military junta. Moreover, when the West tightened sanctions on Myanmar in the late 1990s, Beijing helped Myanmar with trade and investment. In recent years, China has become Myanmar's largest trading partner. The China-Myanmar Economic Corridor is a major component of Xi Jinping's Belt and Road Initiative, and it will include deep water ports, transportation infrastructure, and significant economic integration along the China-Myanmar border. Nevertheless, in Myanmar, there has been a great deal of suspicion toward China and concern about excessive dependence on China. And in fact, these reasons led the junta to begin the process of democratic transition in 2003. In 2011, President Ten Sen halted construction of the Mietzong Dam, which was being jointly built with China on the upper reaches of the Irrawaddy River. And three years later, in 2014, a joint project to build a railroad that would have extended from China's Yunnan province to western Myanmar was canceled due to domestic opposition. China's relations with Myanmar improved after Aung San Suu Kyi took office in 2016. But now with the February 1st coup, there are new questions about the future of China's relationship with Myanmar. Today, we're joined by Ambassador Derek Mitchell, former U.S. ambassador to Myanmar from 2012 to 2016. Ambassador Mitchell was America's first ambassador to the country in 22 years. Prior to that, from 2011 to 2012, he served as the U.S. Department of State's first special representative and policy coordinator for Burma with the rank of ambassador. And he is currently president of the National Democratic Institute. Derek, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Bonnie. Good to be here. So I'd like to start by asking you to briefly describe China's interests in Myanmar. The two countries share a border of approximately 1,350 miles. And in recent years, we know that China's invested billions of dollars into the China-Myanmar economic corridor as part of its Belt and Road Initiative. So what's at stake for China in this relationship? This is China's West Coast, as they like to think of it. This is their access to the Indian Ocean. This is a privileged country for them throughout their history. But what do they want in Myanmar? First of all, they want stability. They have this long border that you mentioned, and instability can cause and has caused refugees and 
and all kinds of um, illicit activities across that very porous border. So stability is important for the border. They also do a lot of business in Myanmar. It is an extremely rich country in terms of resources. So they want to ensure that there's an ability for them to extract all of them. But they also fundamentally consider Myanmar it's their sphere of influence. They want a privileged strategic position there where their interests are protected above all others, other countries. And they want in that way to keep uh, a managed relationship between Myanmar and Western powers, particularly the United States. You know, they're not saying the U.S. should be out, but they want to ensure that they have the privileged position and not the U.S. to have access to what they consider a very vulnerable underbelly. So how does the recent coup affect China's interest? We know the military is very suspicious of Chinese intentions, and Beijing had pretty good relations with the NLD and invested quite a lot in Aung San Suu Kyi. So can China preserve this relatively good relationship with the NLD, but at the same time strengthen its ties with the military regime? And do you think that the China-Myanmar relationship will be affected by the coup? Well, it has to. I mean, now is not a time where they can play all sides. Ideally, the Chinese would like to have good relations with all and, again, preserve a very stable relationship uh, inside the country. But now is a time where they would have to choose. You can't simply straddle a military coup and millions of people in the streets who are opposing it. So it is a challenge for them. I think uh, they're in a somewhat awkward position as a result. As you suggested, they did have a very good relationship with the National League for Democracy, Aung San Suu Kyi and her party. They had a modus vivendi. And the NLD, more than the previous government, the, the military junta that came before, the NLD is legitimate. They have support of the people, as we see now on the streets. And the fact that they were friendly overall with China or Chinese business and to a degree with the Chinese government, that was good cover for China inside the country. On the other hand, the army is not legitimate and can't protect China from popular revulsion that is pretty instinctive towards Beijing. And we're seeing now uh, showing its face on the streets as well in front of the Chinese embassy. So I think it is affecting China's interests. I think they're very worried about what it might mean. They understand that the military is instinctively wary of China from history. So what they're doing is taking stock and they're watching to see which way things go. But if they had their druthers, strangely, I'm sure they wish the coup didn't happen and the Chinese have said as much. A Chinese ambassador in the country said they wish it didn't happen. But where they go from here and what they do, I think they're still struggling to figure that out. Talk a little bit about the different attitudes of these different constituencies and sort of groups in Myanmar toward China, the people, the business community, the NLD and the military. Well, I mean, overall throughout history, there's been a wariness because of this long border, because they've been invaded by China or Chinese entities throughout their history. The Chinese have you know, never demonstrated they truly care about the country at all. They see this again as a sphere of influence. And the military in particular has been subject to Chinese influence through the Burmese Communist Party and the insurgencies that took hold in the 60s, 70s, and into the, the late 80s. And still to this day, the Chinese have influence on some of the ethnic armed organizations and militias along the border. So there's a very deep-seated distaste for, for China throughout the, the society, military and the people. But, you know, you have business folks who just want to do business. They'll look for whatever opportunities they can get to make money. The NLD government saw were very practical coming out of the Rohingya crisis in particular in 2017, where they were isolated by the West, vilified by the West. And they frankly said, even privately, well, we can turn to China 
If we need to have roads built, if we need business, we need development, the Chinese have the resources, they seem to have the interest, we can turn to them. So it's a very, it's very, it's variegated kind of attitude and split attitude. The ethnics, as you say, there are different ethnic groups within the society. Uh, it's a very diverse country. The majority Burmans are the ones who are most wary of China and Chinese influence because they're the ones who feel they are the repository of national sovereignty and independence the kind of post-colonial attitude that they have. But some along the border see China as a potential ally for its interest to take the fight to the center and seek autonomy, political autonomy, and some economic benefit. There are lots of agendas inside Myanmar, but overall, the attitude is one of wariness and uh, skepticism and distaste for what China can bring to the country, even if there are some positive aspects that China can bring through its investment. We know that China is very suspicious of the United States and its presence and sees the U.S. as trying to really promote an anti-China coalition. And I'm guessing that at the time in the Obama administration, when the U.S. was implementing this pivot to Asia, that there were particularly deep uh, suspicions about the U.S. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you think China views U.S. influence in Myanmar and share with us uh, some of your own experience at the time. Well, it's interesting. We worked together, Bonnie, you know, 10, 15 years ago at CSIS. And in those days when we had sanctions on Myanmar, the Chinese would kind of poke at us. And maybe you remember this. They'd say, you know, you need to get rid of those sanctions and engage the regime. Why do you have these sanctions on? You need to engage uh, and have a more normal relationship. And then when we did that, (laughs) They turned around and said, hey, this is all about us. Why are you using them as a cudgel against us? Suddenly, they saw this as a tool against China because they see everything we do in Asia is somehow focused on them. So you couldn't win no matter what you do with China. But yes, you're right. They did think when I was engaged as envoy at first, they thought that we were doing this as kind of an anti-China thing. When the Mitsun Dam, the issue of the dam project in northern Myanmar in Kachin State, that was being underwritten by the Chinese, it was going to be a very important source of, of electricity for Yunnan province. When the decision was made by the Myanmar government to freeze that, to suspend that, the Chinese were sure that was us. And in fact, the Myanmar uh, foreign minister was in the State Department the day before the announcement had occurred. So they just connected dots that really weren't there. We had nothing to do with that decision whatsoever. So they're very skeptical of what we're about. There were three ambassadors when I was there. The first ambassador spoke very good English and he was from the UN. We had good conversations about, you know, US-China relationship stuff. He was pulled early. The second was very nervous about me. Whenever I would see him at at events and I'd go up to him, he would turn around and run away almost. Uh, I think he was focused on domestic business and he was just terrified of, of dealing with me. The third was interesting. He came in the last few months of my tenure and he was the son-in-law of a, of a major foreign ministry official. And he was sort of uh, what we would call today a wolf warrior diplomat. He came to me in my first meeting with him and said, you must respect our interests. You must not go to northern or eastern Myanmar, to Kachin and Shen State along our border, because we will find that to be an offense to us. So you must not travel there, which I found astonishing and basically told him that that's an invasion you know, of uh, the sovereign country's interests and that our relationship with Myanmar had nothing to do with China. And uh, my last trip, I didn't mean it as an affront to him, but my last trip was, was, was to Putao in northern Kachin State. I was going anyway, but it was basically, I think, a signal. We're not going to be pushed around by China in a third country. 
So there was evidence that China felt like this was their protectorate. And they saw us as having pulled this away from them through our engagement. And in fact, when it started to move the other way after the Rohingya crisis in 2017, China became quite comfortable, I think, again, with what they viewed as the natural order of things where this was part of their sphere of influence. We know that when the coup first happened, that China referred to it as a cabinet reshuffle, and they blocked a statement at the UN that would have condemned the coup. But as you said earlier, China has tried to walk this very fine line of indicating that the coup is really not uh, not in its interest. Do you think that China's position will have any kind of a negative impact on regional or, or global perceptions of China? I'm sure other members of ASEAN are quite concerned about the coup and about potential for instability. And China's been trying to stabilize and repair its relations with some of these Southeast Asian countries. So do you think this will have any effect on how China's viewed in the region? To some degree, I suppose. Look, ASEAN and Southeast Asia is, is they live in glass houses. They're not exactly the most uh, democratic of countries nowadays. You have a coup in Thailand and Cambodia has regressed substantially and Vietnam is, you know, a one-party state. So I don't know whether it's going to affect their perceptions. I mean, if China were to out and out embrace the military's position and oppose and actively sort of invested resources in keeping the military in place and asserting its influence inside the country through the peace process or otherwise, that can be viewed as a very bad signal about China not uh, respecting internal affairs, as it were, or respecting sovereign independence or seeking more than simply a sphere of influence, but a sphere of control. But again, I think Myanmar and the military itself, they're going to prevent that. <laughs> the Myanmar people are going to prevent that. Myanmar military has no interest in that. I don't know that um, countries are surprised at anything China might do these days, whether it will affect perceptions. If they support, if for some reason they decide to work with the international community, including ASEAN, though, to find a solution to this that works for all sides, that gets things back to a stable track, gets things back to a constructive kind of direction. Instead of a negative, it's a potential positive point for China, I would think, in its position in the region is showing that its, its influence can be constructive, given that the, I think the common interest everyone has is that this be stabilized and that um, there not be the kinds of refugee flows and economic degradation and things that cause cross-border impacts to all countries, China and Southeast Asia, that can pull the region backwards. And that's what the concern is. I think that's a major concern for everyone, that if the current conditions sustain, that uh, the instability can have cross-border effects. And to the degree that China can help the country, uh, help the region get the country back on track can be viewed as a positive. What we've seen so far, that the coup has led to violence against uh, civilians. There's been episodic uh, shutting down of internet access across the country. How do you assess the risks that the situation escalates? And if there were instability that spilled over across the border into China, what do you think the Chinese would do? Oh, that's, I mean, they've had instability on that border for a long time because of the ethnic, you know, armed group conflicts. They've tried to shut down the border. They've tried to prevent uh, movement across that border. But um, yeah, that's that's a big question. I think you know, these refugee flows are, are enormous burden on, on China and on uh, Yunnan province. So, and I think they're mostly worried about, incidentally, you know, this populist revolt in the country can also turn very much on China 
and puts at risk the infrastructure programs, puts at risk the business interests they have, and also can increase hostility toward China that leads to, again, a turn to the democratic West. So they have a lot of concern here. This has gone back to the status quo ante. Again, before the 2017 crisis, which was a boon for them, for their position in the country, where suddenly the West is on side with the people of the country. So I think they're just struggling with, you know, I don't know what they would do, particularly along that border, but I think they're going to put more pressure on the military to move on and, and maybe try to, as they did in Rakhine State with Bangladesh and Myanmar, maybe mediate in some fashion, though I don't know that the people in Myanmar are looking for Chinese mediation. I don't know if that would work very well, but they're, I think they're struggling with what their answer to all this should be. Does Myanmar have any leverage in its relationship with China? You noted earlier that China has some dependence on Myanmar for some things, particularly for rare earth minerals, and demand for those rare earths are growing in China. So they not only, of course, produce their own, but they're increasing imports from around uh, the world. Myanmar is an important source. So does this provide any leverage over Beijing or not? Well, they're a very proud country. Uh, very nationalistic, very patriotic. They won't be pushed around by by anyone. The, the leverage they have is that they, they're very you know, stubborn, as we can see. They have resources that China needs or wants. They have the access to the Indian Ocean. They have, you know, all these things. Um, the China-Myanmar economic corridor is, is something China really needs or desires in order to have access, strategic access, to avoid the Malacca Dilemma and the sea lanes that are, are vulnerable, etc. So, Yes, China is worried about being bottled up that way, and Myanmar theoretically has that kind of leverage that they won't be pushed around. And if you push us hard enough, they can always turn to a Russia or turn to other countries, maybe less savory for our, you know, not terribly savory for us, but that are options for them, aside from even the West and China. But again, China can make life very difficult for Myanmar too. So whatever leverage they have, they can... Chinese can turn up the heat through support for the ethnic armed organizations when they choose to, by giving weapons, by giving access to them on their border. You know, there's been reports of militias or uh, mercenaries who have contributed from China to these operations along the border. There are about two dozen of these groups around the country that are fighting the military. And many of them are along the Chinese border, along with militias. So they can create a lot of problems for Myanmar if they choose to, and the Myanmar government knows that. Again, this is one of the reasons why I believe the government turned to us when we we saw some reform happening and we reached out to them that they were interested. They want a balanced foreign policy. They're just like any other Southeast Asian country. They're proud, but they, they have big neighbors and they want options and they want balance. So it's the U.S. and China, but also Japan and India and Europeans and maybe Russia. So that's the leverage they would have over Beijing is trying to diversify their relationships with outsiders. And I think they're struggling to figure out where that would be, at least the military is right now, what countries that will be, given how isolated they become after the coup. Well, that really raises questions about the appropriate policy response. And immediately after the coup, there were some observers who advised against the tightening of sanctions on Myanmar, in part because they claimed that this would push Myanmar into a closer relationship with China. Again, it would just make it more isolated. And if other countries went along with us, then Myanmar just would have fewer options. 
So do you agree or disagree with this line of argumentation? And do you think China should be a major factor in U.S. decision making regarding its response to the coup? And how do you evaluate how the Biden administration has responded so far? Well, in any international relations issue, you have to consider all factors, all different angles to things. And China is a major factor in in decision making in Asia or elsewhere, anything we do globally. So I, I think it's worthwhile considering the China factor. But my view very strongly is that this is a decisive moment in the country and we have to stand with the people. I mean, we are not China. The Biden administration has made a very strong point on this that there is a competition of norms and values and rules and standards globally between autocracy and democracy, between closed societies and open societies. And we are firmly on one side of that balance. And in this case, there is a clear choice to be made. And we have to stand with the people. Now, when you say imposition of sanctions, that, that's a whole continuum from just blanket sanctions like we had in the past to targeted sanctions that so far are being imposed. And I think we have to impose a cost. I think uh, targeted sanctions are the way to go, carefully targeted towards individuals and their money and their families, and make sure it's not business as usual, that we don't contribute to an illegitimate government in any way possible. And we should get our allies to go along with that. We must get our allies along with that because part of that Biden doctrine is both values competition and leveraging our allies and partners in that new twilight struggle, as it were. There's a China component to that, I suppose. You say China represents that, but it's bigger than China. It's really not in the Myanmar context, essentially about China, as we talked about earlier. China's relationship with the democratic government, the civilians, was actually quite good. But it is about these values that we have to stand behind. And frankly, the military made its own bed. They decided to force us into this choice. And I happen to think that the leverage is with us. They do not want to. It is logical that they might have to turn to China. But that is, in fact, leverage on them more than on us, because as we discussed earlier, that is something uncomfortable for the military. That is uncomfortable for the country. It's uncomfortable for the people. It puts more pressure on the government to reverse what they're doing. So it's more leverage on them than it should be on us to come down hard on the military to change its ways. So a military that cares deeply, almost decisively, almost by definition about national sovereignty, that's what they say. We are the repository, the guarantor of national independence and sovereignty. Well, they would have to then, because of their actions, be forced into a closer relationship with the one country that probably puts that at risk more than any other. So they need to recognize that and they have to find a negotiated way out, in my view, in order to get back on on track. Is this an issue where the United States should be talking directly with China? Obviously, the Biden administration wants to work with China on issues like uh, climate change, potentially global health. We're already talking with the Chinese about Iran. We probably have not worked together with China on Myanmar in the past. Should we just keep China at arm's length or should we be engaging? Oh, I think we should be engaging. Absolutely. I, look, I, I, I did that when I was there. When I talked to the ambassador there, I said that um, we do have some common interest there. We should, if there's a uh, the Chinese, you know, they talk win-win, but they think zero-sum, particularly around their periphery. So I recognize that our engagement, as we talked earlier with Myanmar, was viewed by them as somehow coming at their expense. And I tried to discuss with them you know, how, look, if you have a problem with something we're doing, we can talk about it, but let's not bring Myanmar into this. Let's not complicate Myanmar 
uh, Myanmar's reform efforts and Myanmar's potential for success because of this, what they were trying to impose as sort of a great power competition. Uh, we can talk about it separately and see what we can do to deal with it on our own. They were not interested in that. I raised issues of health and other things in ways that we can work together in, in common cause. They weren't interested. Again, I think they see things in quite zero-sum fashion in Myanmar, and again, as a severe of influence. They don't want us to be engaged with them on anything or inviting them to be involved in anything. But that doesn't mean we couldn't work in this case on, on other issues in Myanmar. And it's really up to Myanmar to take the lead. And I would tell the government that. If you want us to work together, then you encourage the Chinese to work with us on things. When the international community in my day worked together on peace issues or on health issues, the one country that was never at the table was China. They refused to work in concert with other countries on these issues. And it's up to the Myanmar government to decide how they want to engage China, whether they want to force China to have to do that. But, um, you know, right now it's hard to see that working until we get... Uh, we get things on a better political track. Now, one last issue I'd like to ask you about is the potential for China's interference in elections in Myanmar going forward. And I know in your work as president of NDI that you have examined the question of China's growing influence in other countries around the world. We've seen in Africa growing Chinese efforts to interfere in, in some of these elections. And hopefully Myanmar in the future will continue to have elections. And I wonder when you were there, whether you saw any evidence of Chinese interference and whether you have concerns about that going forward and what the United States can do to ensure that Myanmar's elections, if there's any way we can help or Japan or with like-minded countries to ensure that uh, elections in Myanmar are, are fair and, and free. Yeah, I did not see that when I was there. I don't know of any evidence of that. That's a double-edged sword. The Chinese know this. If there's any evidence that the Chinese are trying to move public opinion, it would come to their detriment. The elections now in Myanmar are pretty straightforward. You have an election, Aung San Suu Kyi wins. <laughs> you know, the NLD wins. They win big. Happened in 1990. It happened 2015. Happened last November 2020. So I'm not sure the Chinese, I'm not sure where they would put their bets or how they would try to shape elections. But as you suggest, folks like, you know, NDI, what we do is all about standard setting, transparency of operations, ensuring that there are election observers, election monitors, civil society groups that can oversee how the election commission is doing its work, oversee how the, the voter lists are being put together, oversee how the conditions of campaigning, uh, whether it's a level playing field for all the political parties, and then between elections, you know, on parliamentary processes and such. That's what we're trying to do is institutionalize the democracy and these elections so that no country and no nobody inside the country, let alone outside the country, can play games with us. So far, we're not seeing it, again, because there's so much wariness about Chinese influence. Very few in the country are looking, that I can tell, to China for assistance. What China does have, of course, is money, and they could underwrite this or that element in the country. And I think it becomes more of an issue potentially over time if the NLD, Feng San Suu Kyi, is not around anymore on the political scene. Then it's much more of a free-for-all politically inside the country. And you might see the Chinese trying to pick sides and underwrite certain political elements that can skew the politics of the country. We have to absolutely watch for that, which is why now is the time to institutionalize the democratic forms, democratic processes, the democratic institutions, the democratic culture 
over the long term to try to prevent that. But now the military has set that off track, which I think is very, very bad for the country. We've been talking with Derek Mitchell, who is the former U.S. ambassador to Myanmar and currently president of the National Democratic Institute. Thanks so much for sharing your insights, uh, Derek. Really great conversation. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for the opportunity. 